0: The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Are you ready? It's just my sexy boy. It's your
1: hard-out, girls. Hands off the merchandise
0: a stopper, Mr. Wrestlemania. They generate into something cool. we just got tired of doing what you told us to do, that's a brace boy, yeah. Will you love Son Michaels or you hate him, it's really irrelevant, he's a magnificent athlete.
1: I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before, why? Because I can.
0: I've got the looks, the drives are cool, while I've got the moves, they really move them. I said chill, up and down their spine, I'm just a sexy
1: boy, I'm
0: not your boy, toy.
1: Hello and welcome to the HBK pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sy, and today we are looking at... One of my favorite matches from when I was a kid, and probably still even so now as a growner, WrestleMania 10, the famous ladder match, Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon. But for the first time here on the Heartbreak Kid podcast, I am not alone. I am joined, I think for the very first time ever on a podcast
0: by Chris Bellis. How are you doing, my friend? Hello, Si. I am uh, fine and dandy, like cotton candy. How are
1: you? <laughs> I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. This is the, i think this is literally the first time we've recorded together, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah. It's uh, like I, I, I joked when we uh, were putting the planning together on this. Uh, this was something that I've crossed off my bucket list, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> it's something that I've I've wanted to do for a long time, and uh, we're finally doing it. So uh, happy days. Yeah, we do have obviously certain crossover,
1: don't we? We have our good friend Scottish Danny, who's uh, you know, he works with me on Nitro Nights, he works with you on a couple of different projects as well. Um, before we uh sort of dive into what we're talking about today, do you want to let people know straight off the bat exactly where they can find you and your projects, and then we'll run through your socials at the end as well?
0: Absolutely, mate, thank you very much. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, Uh, But I'm sure you will because all 10 of you probably listen to all of the SJP World Media output as well, as you should. Um, I co-host a little wrestling podcast with uh, Danny, the Scottish Juggalo, called One Man's Meat. And we take a look at some of the forgotten corners of of pro wrestling, whether it be forgotten factions, storylines that you'd rather forget. Uh, feuds that have uh, been forgotten about—you know, there's a lot of forgetting in this podcast. But uh, thankfully, Danny and I—we we never forget. We're like elephants. So, yeah, that's that's the main show. It's on a bit of a hiatus at the moment because Danny's taking a bit of a break. So, yeah, just looking forward to him coming back. So, I've been taking the opportunity to um, do a solo podcast. So that would be acceptable in the '90s because. The mid-90s scene is probably one of my favourite eras. It's the era that I remember the most fondly because that's when I first became a fan. Um, And basically we started that from uh, the advent of Monday Night Raw and we dive into WCW as well because it's the greatest thing ever. And uh, basically just chronologically critiquing all of that from 1993 onwards. And then there's a few little bits and pieces in the pipeline with One Man's Meat as well. Um, I'm starting to do a few uh, music bits um, in the new year, uh, one of which is going to be uh, kind of a like a, a radio show style programme um, for music. And then um, there's always plans. I'm always available. So a few little lions in the fire there. Lovely stuff. And it's,
1: it's interesting you mentioned there as well about uh, uh, solo podcasting for acceptable in the nineties. It, it raises a question. I've done plenty of, of podcasts in in the past, as people are more, than, more than aware of different projects, different topics, and so on. But I've always tended to work with somebody or have a you know ever revolving door of guests or or, or whatever. So the Hbk podcast initially started as a solo effort, a solo project just to see if I could do it more than anything inspired by the likes of total Steve-O and someone who who do their solo shows and so on. How do you find solo podcasting in comparison to working with somebody else or a group of people and so on? Is is it easier because you haven't got to be um, worrying about their thoughts or or their commitments, or is it more tricky because uh, you haven't got that other person to bounce off what what the difference is and what do you prefer? I suppose.
0: Okay. So I'll I'll start by saying, uh, and I think I speak for a lot of people here that have said this, um, when it comes to solo podcasting, Steve is the absolute benchmark. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. his yeah. output is absolutely first class. Um, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that um uh, like like a lot of people in our group he he just loves to rant about things so he will have, which <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that by the way uh, but um he he just you know he's got stuff that's on his mind um it occupies a lot of his time during the day which you can tell because uh, he's, he's very honest about that when he puts his output out and it just makes his subject matter a lot easier for him to talk about because he's been going through it constantly um in all honesty, I'd probably say that I prefer recording with somebody. Um, I'll, okay. I'll be very honest with the fact that I, I started One Man's Me um just as an effort to get to know Danny, really. Um, You know, I'd um, hooked up with him on, on Twitter over, uh, a few years before we started the podcast, thought he was an excellent bloke and just wanted mm-hmm. to get to know him better. Um, he was well up for doing the podcast. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's it's less of a podcast and more of a, a budding friendship really over something that we've got in common, be it wrestling yeah. or horror movies. And then with the solo stuff, um, it just came from uh during the the lockdown with the whole COVID nineteen stuff. Um, with my work, the overtime was cut because uh they were doing it at uh, for people that don't know, I, I work for an um, NHS trust as a nurse. It was basically for our safety, so that we weren't running ourselves down, making ourselves more susceptible to okay. infections and stuff. Yeah. So I had a lot more time on my hands, and uh, Danny was obviously uh, putting his hand in with Nitro Nights and Back When and all these sorts of things. And I was at a bit of a loose end, so I thought, well, I'm going to start a solo podcast, see how it goes. So uh, the first... I suppose probably the first half a dozen episodes I found really difficult because, like you say, um, because there was nobody to bounce off. Um, mm. I found them to be very dry and very serious. Uh, like I, I probably can't listen to the first six weeks of Acceptable in the nineties back to kind of look okay. at, at any kind of aspects because it's all very, like very very linear and right. there's no kind of. Um, you know, there's there's no pops and beats that I'd have with Danny because we just feed off each other. If we're having a good laugh about something, that helps our conversation. And then as I got a little bit more confident doing a solo podcast, I've kind of played around with doing impressions and um, in, introducing fictional characters all in the means of comedy. Um, kind of ranting about what I'm watching on, t- on the screen as well, because... As much as I love the mid-90s scene, um, some of it is just nonsense. And oh, yes. And I'm kind of <laughs> celebrating that by getting angry about it. So mm-hmm. um, definitely prefer recording with someone, but solo can be fun if I'm in the mood for a good rant.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Mate. I must say as well, before we actually move on to our actual topic today, I love the horror movie stuff you and Danny do together because i mean i I like i like a good horror movie but i'm not exactly i suppose um uh, i don't know the correct term clued up i suppose on everything that's out there i mean I, i love the first halloween film but that's you know a given isn't it majority of people have seen that majority of people like that i suppose that's kind of the sort of box i'm in hearing you and danny talk about movies that i've not seen has actually made me go and try and track them down like, uh, you know, uh, the DVDs what CEX in town or on on demand and stuff like that. So I love those reviews of the horror movies and I can't
0: wait for them to come back with you and Danny. I I love them. They're fantastic. Oh, thank you, mate. Yeah. It's probably the favourite thing of um, recording with Danny um, the most is actually when we do our horror movie podcast. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to more than anything when he comes back is just diving into the the list of horror movies that i've been making for him while i've been watching stuff on my own so yeah watch best. <laughs> there we go yeah come on danny put your
1: finger out mate we love you a bit. Exactly, we're, wait, we're waiting for you mate
0: yeah
1: <laughs> chris is having a slumber here and talk to me instead uh, <laughs> <laughs> right then wrestlemania 10 um sean's crowning moment as a singles performer i guess it, or always is, is coming out party so to speak i would say uh march I, the 20th 1994 he's already had uh, you know this this is his second intercontinental title run i believe he switched the belts with genetti back and forth didn't he yeah. is this when you first kind of noticed sean or does your fandom go back a little bit further because y- you are i suppose very similar to to myself
0: and and say you are a Sean guy aren't you absolutely um I was talking about this um, on another podcast recently but um when it comes to the whole uh Sean versus Brett debate um both men are number one and one a in my list of all-time favorites and um they they kind of swap um over time depending but If I had to be blatantly honest with myself, I would probably say that Sean always shades it because the man has had two distinctly different runs Mm -hmm. um, that are both Hall of Fame worthy. And there's not a lot of workers out there that can say that. And I mean, I I kind of came up uh, being a massive fan of tag teams. So back in the late 90s, no, sorry, not late 90s. I do apologise, I'll start again. I'd say probably back in the late 80s, early 90s, it was back when the WWF had started expanding more into the UK market. Okay. So there would be the the Silver Vision tapes being passed around primary school and what have you, and yeah. you'd take one home. And like a lot of people, um, it would be Survivor Series tapes and particularly those incredible um, 10-team matches that they had that seemed impossible because there was just a cavalcade of people making a border around the ring Um, and that was when I first noticed the Rockers and it's tapes like that from the initial expansion that's kind of made me a massive tag team guy and the Rockers were kind of my team to be perfectly honest and it kind of Synced into the fact that the kind of tag teams I like are stuff like the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, lots of expresses there. But yeah. anything that's kind of got that old school ethos, um, maybe the odd mullet kicking around as well, uh, natural double teaming, and the Rockers had that in spades. So when Shawn Michaels did um, go solo, as it were, um, to begin with, just like any other good little mark, I hated him because he was a heel. And, you know, he he pushed Marty through the the broken window of the barbershop and all that sort of stuff. Uh, But around this time, 1994, and this match in particular, Shawn Michaels sticks out like a sore thumb because of his sheer quality of work. Oh, yeah. To the point that I still disliked his character, but his match was always the match I looked forward to.
1: Okay, interesting. See, I was, I was the other side of the coin with regards to the split of the rockers. Uh, I've said on the show previously that I was, when Janetti and Michael split on the barbershop, I was, I think I was like 10, 11 maybe. And I don't recall having any feelings of, you know, uh, good or bad or who to cheer for, who to boo. I just looked at Shawn Michaels in that black leather jacket and thought, this guy looks so cool. And that was oh, yeah. it for me. That was, you know, so I looked at Gennetty and I don't know why, but it sounds silly because they're both part of the same tag team and they dressed very similar for so long. But that particular shot of them up in the barber shop, I looked at Gennetti and I just thought, man, he looks like a bit of a nerd. He looks like a bit do you know what I mean? It's
0: yeah, it was it was the cool cousin versus the nerdy uncle, wasn't it? There we go. Yeah. 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 And
1: uh, and Sean when he when he threw him through the window as well. I mean, I'd seen wcw worldwide on a saturday afternoon i'd seen um primetime wrestling superstars and, and stuff like that whenever my uncle was uh was home and i was allowed to go watch it in, in, on his skybox in his bedroom and he would tape the pay-per-views for me um record them for me if he remembered and, and so on so i'd seen various bits of wrestling at this stage growing up but that spot with the window that was new to me that was like what that was a proper oh my goodness what's happened here moment and the fact it was sean doing it and again the cool black leather jacket the long blonde hair and all this and then the cocky smile and everything i just thought man he is so cool not realizing at the time i suppose quite naively that i was supposed to hate this dude but
0: i just didn't pick up on that if that makes sense exactly yeah that's it and i can i can totally see that um yeah I'll be very honest. I was very much into my good guys back then, uh, even though looking back, back now, like, you know, especially viewing the likes of Tatonka in a different light now, like back then I couldn't understand why I wasn't the world champion. These days I can't understand yeah. why I was signed in the first place, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, as, as you get older, um, you kind of appreciate um, what was right in front of your face. And yeah, that was Michael's. Like one of the things that I've yeah. loved about your, podcast is that it's probably given a lot of listeners a new appreciation of Shawn Michaels' earlier run um as a singles competitor. Like, you know, this was probably his first uh genuinely good WrestleMania match as a solo performer, but it hasn't taken away from the fact that every solo match he's had has at least been one of the better matches on the WrestleMania that he's on.
1: Oh yes. Yeah, I, I don't know which episode it was, but I think it might have been um, the previous episode when we spoke. When I spoke about WrestleMania 9. That, to me, is the best match on that card. Far and away. Yeah, 100%. No, which says a lot because it's not brilliant, but it's still the best match on that card. And I think that starts a run where you can potentially argue that Sean has the best match on the card from WrestleMania 9 right up to 14, whenever he's actually... Because obviously he misses 13, doesn't he? But he does. You, you think about it... This one here, obviously you've got Brett and Owen in the opener. And, and it's funny because I, I, as a child, adored the ladder match. Hands down, thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. As an yes. adult, I appreciate Brett and Owen in the opener a hell of a lot more. And I kind of put that it's difficult for me to choose which one I prefer now as an adult. But as a child, the ladder match was was it for me. And then obviously you got 11 and Sean versus Diesel steals the, steals the show there. But again, it's a weak card, but Sean still has there's an argument. It's the best yeah. match on the card. 12, the Iron Man. Again, I think you can argue that that's the best match on that card. There's not much there to, you know you know a thirteen he didn't work, and then fourteen and there's a bit more going on, but at the same time, is Austin versus Michael's the best on that card? You
0: can argue it is I would argue i mean when when you consider as well um Sean being the champion is essentially having a match when he can barely walk, yes, exactly, and that's what he produces. I mean, that that elevates it even further in my mind. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, it's just it's just so much to the guy, I
1: think. And you mentioned there about the, the the comparisons always with Sean and Brett. Are you a Sean guy? Are you a Brett guy? And all this sort of stuff. Sean was always number one for me. But at the same time, I really, really appreciate what Brett can do. Brett's, Brett's always been, I think, technically, one of the best that I've seen do it. But there's just... I don't know what it is. It's not a charisma thing. I, I'm not sure, but I suppose maybe a little stardust potentially. Sean's got a little bit more of a, a sprinkle of stardust over him than, than Brett has,
0: in my opinion. Absolutely, no, he he does, and and that's the thing. It's like there's 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 no taking away the fact with with Brett, and you you see this a lot after King of the Ring, 1993. So this is kind of the era that I'm talking about right now with Acceptable in the nineties. Okay. They're kind of building him up as this working-class hero, which you totally get. He, he loves his family. He fights for his family. He fights for the fans. Yes. With, with Sean, you've got this unbelievable X Factor. You, you know he's a good wrestler, um, but it's, it's all about the swagger that he presents as well. Bret Hart is an incredible wrestler. One of the greatest of all time, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And he shows flashes of character in 1997, obviously, with the incredible heel turn. But there's there's nothing that's really head-turning about him from a character perspective. He's an excellent wrestler. The fans respond to him. But with Michaels, whatever he does, you can't take your eyes off him. Mm. And yeah. I think that's what shades it a lot as well. In that, you know, whether it's his initial run or his two thousand and two return, even then, there's there's that extra something there, uh, like like you say, the the stardust that just draws you to him. He, you mm. know, whether he's being a, a sympathetic character, whether he's being an absolute turd in the punch bowl, whatever it may be, he stands out. And yes. You definitely need that in the early 90s, WWF. You need to stand out because there's nothing else there really, is there? Oh, no, no. It's very,
1: yeah, it's not a great time in the business, let's be honest. Um, No. As I said, March 20th, 1994, Madison Square Garden. A smidge over 18,000 are there. Uh, Michaels is, well, Michaels was, I suppose, the Intercontinental Champion. He doesn't, uh, you know, storyline wise, kayfabe, et cetera. He doesn't fulfill his, um, recommended amount of title defenses in a certain period of time. So he's stripped of the belt and we have a battle Royal where Razor and Rick Martel are the final two. They go into an ordinary match. Razor wins the vacant championship. Michaels returns with his title. We have two champions and that's how we get to WrestleMania 10. In reality, Sean failed drugs test around this time which led to him being suspended. And I think it's in Sean's book. It's a line that has always tickled me because everyone's aware that Sean has had dependency issues with various different substances, but he says that he's never took steroids in his life. And if you look at me at that particular period, I was at least 25 pounds overweight. And I don't know why, but that line just makes me laugh so much. It's like, I'll accept any other drug, but don't do me for steroids. That's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Look at my gut. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously coming off a cycle. I mean, I've never touched steroids in my life, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he has got the, uh, the, the the very high waistband on his
0: tights and stuff around this era as well, hasn't he? Just to sort of help oh, hold yes. him in a little bit, you know? Absolutely. And of course, it, it doesn't help that he's got this big hulking dude in Kevin Nash um, yes. that's completely taking the attention away from how badly Sean looks until he gets in the ring. And then mm. it stands out, doesn't it? Yeah, it does indeed. Um, see, that's something else as well, the whole Diesel character. And we're going to obviously get more
1: into Diesel when, when I speak about WrestleMania 11 uh, on the next uh, HBK pod. But he's relatively new here as well, isn't he? He's been around a few yeah. months I can remember him being Vinny Vegas on WCW TV, but at the time, you know, I didn't read dirt sheets. There was no internet or anything like that. When he arrived on, I don't know what episode of, of TV it was like a superstars or something like that. I just remember sitting there and my mind being blown as a small child because there is Vinny Vegas but they're not calling him Vinny Vegas. He's got a different name. And I couldn't get my head around that because I just assumed this guy was Vinny Vegas. And if he wrestled some else, he'd still be Vinny Vegas. It never even entered my mind as a child that how these things work, if you know what I mean.
0: That's it. Like he, he literally gets dropped into an episode of raw. Um, so at a show, he made his debut again Okay, as Vinny Vegas. Nothing more, nothing less. And he's the kind of deciding factor in Shawn Michaels winning the title back at a show from Giannetti. Yes. So they'd, they'd been building up to, I want to say it was Marty Giannetti versus Bam Bam Bigelow for the Intercontinental title um, in a rematch for the following week. And then that week, here comes Shawn with the belt. And they kind of mention it uh briefly um on tv but it's more prominent in the magazines where they've got the photos and everything of uh, kevin nash making his big debut but oh, you're right in all the interviews and everything even in how he presents himself how he's dressed that's Vinny vegas yeah it really is it is <laughs> at least
1: he's lost the bright pink suspenders though i suppose the bright pink braces that's oh a, that's totally yeah uh, yeah yeah
0: and uh, <laughs> less of the uh las vegas wide boy i suppose if uh, nothing else yeah yeah very true um
1: getting to the pay-per-view itself then madison square garden we all know it's a, it's a special place for for the wwf wwe it's obviously mm. got that unique aisle way that um, they don't tend to use as much in later WrestleManias when they are back in this building but here we have that unique aisle way that's sort of opposite the hard cam um and this uh, this pay-per-view in itself Mm-hmm. I, I love, this is one of those pay-per-views that I've mentioned before, along with SummerSlam 89 and King of the Ring 93 that I had on VHS tape that I just played effectively on a loop for for the whole of my childhood until I wore them out. I love the charm of it. I love the way that the ropes are black and gold rather than the red, white, and blue that I was used to back then. That to me was a massive thing. Just, just changing the color of the ropes just blew my mind. I was like, oh my goodness, what well, this must be a big deal because they've changed the color of the ropes the cried barriers are spray painted mm. gold rather than silver, which again, is like my like word what's going on. And then we've got the Roman numeral X for 10 and they slide open the doors and it sort of open and splits the, you know, all that sort of stuff. Not only just huge waves of nostalgia for me, but it just reminded me how much I loved this show when I was a kid and, and certain moments or certain changes to the layout of the, the arena, the venue really sort of made it stand out as a special occasion to me when
0: I was younger. Does that does that make sense? It does, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, for for want of making yet another sweeping statement, as I want to do, um this this for me is the best WrestleMania of all time. I know that's oh, wow. saying a okay. lot, but you you have to look at what's there. There's there's the presentation for a start, which you're absolutely right about. Um, you know, that the black and gold ropes excellent um if you watch this on video with the pre-show and everything they they start pushing the boat out on this show right from the pre-show onwards you know they're making such a big deal of it as they should because it's obviously the 10th one um madison square garden itself it's it's an arena that i love i mean when you when you think about it because i've um i've been to see uh basketball games there the okay next um in in the grand scheme of things it's not as big an arena as you think and obviously yeah. leading to the capacity as well when you look at some of the places that WWE um, host at, you know. But there's just something about the place. It's it's one of those events where the WWE know how to make it look bigger than it actually is. And you, you get that here. Uh, they've obviously filled every possible seat, um, even down to the fact that like, everybody's got their main event pants on. Like, everybody looks the absolute business. Even Jim yeah. Cornette looking every bit like a fabulous Dracula. Um, <laughs> like, every single boat's pushed out. Even Lex Luger has an incredible match. You've got one of the best WrestleMania openers of all time. Yeah. You've got the crowning main event moment that everybody wanted, which kickstarts Bret Hart's greatest year of all time. Um, it, yeah, for for me, it's it's definitely the best WrestleMania. There's been bigger WrestleMania spectacles held, Mm -hmm. but as a show, um, yeah, top to bottom, absolutely fantastic.
1: Wow, okay, interesting.
0: Um, When we get to the
1: actual match itself then, um, again, I think the WWF do this so well, the the visual aspect, they know how to shoot what and where to shoot what and so on. The, The... I don't know how to word it, the the sort of symbolism almost of the two intercontinental title belts. I mean, it's a beautiful belt in its own right anyway, but they're hanging from the ceiling um, facing in different directions, but half sort of slowly half spinning on their, on their, uh, the device hanging them from the ceiling and the, the lights coming down onto them whilst everything else is kind of dimmed around them. What a beautiful shot that was. And then the, the gold lighting coming from or the well, yellowish gold lighting coming from behind the ladder as as we're waiting for the wrestlers to make their entrance. Mm. Again, it just adds to the spectacle
0: of the whole, whole situation. I think it does. I mean, it, like, like you say, it looks spectacular and, um, I didn't do an awful lot of research into the background of the match because I thought I I didn't want to keep uh, you know um, this becoming a, a three-hour podcast or anything like that. But one of the things that I did watch was um, WWE had Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall uh, watch the match on their YouTube channel and yes. talk about a few bits and pieces. And one of the things that stuck out for me was that both men insisted on – sean keeping his belt on tv rather than just being the disgruntled former champ with a point to prove but with nothing around his waist Mm -hmm. in order to create that symbolism during the ladder match of both belts hanging above the ring and it's just little nuances like that that just you know it's it's really very clever isn't it yeah oh definitely definitely um
1: michaels makes his entrance uh, as michaels does he's dancing and preening and flicking his hair around and all that and i can i can remember my father watching certain wrestling matches with me and seeing sean make his entrance and doing his little dance and his sexy boy theme tune and my dad being of a certain generation very much rolling his eyes and then looking at me like are you sure about this lad you know that kind of <laughs> vibe you know <laughs> yeah um he's flanked by diesel of course but then scott hall comes out razor Ramon comes out and we have the razor of own music, very simple, but at the same time, very effective for that character and just the swagger of this guy. He's not walking. He's not strutting, but he's kind of got this swagger to his walk, the, the flicking of the hair, the, the, just all the, the, just every little movement he makes just screams. This dude is cool. And he goes under the ladder as well. And just everything about that entrance is, is fantastic, isn't
0: it? It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, every, every bit of it, you know, the fact that the crowd erupts the minute he comes out as well. um, Yeah, but two very distinctive entrances and, I mean, what more can you say? Just excellent. Yeah. The music as well. I, I, if I hear that music in the house for whatever
1: reason, if I've got music playing out my phone and I'm walking around the house and that music hits, I find myself walking in a certain way without even realising I'm doing it until somebody points it out. Because, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. like that. Yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Trying to do the washing up one-handed because I'm exactly. leaning across. No, that's that's <laughs> sort of fun. <laughs> yeah. um, the early exchanges are, are, are pretty good here. Um, and what I noticed watching this back for the recording today, I tried to watch this without my nostalgia goggles on, to be as um, unbiased and realistic about watching this match with twenty twenty three eyes as I could be. I'll be honest with you; I think I fucking failed. But it's, that, was it, <laughs> that was my <laughs> aim. Absolutely, that was my aim. the The early exchanges we get, we get a tie up and a back and forth and so on before we get a pretty spectacular choke slam by Scott Hall and then a neckbreaker by Sean and it's apparent really early on that they're working I don't want to say stiff or anything like that but everything they do has a snap to it everything they are doing is very believable and I, I purposely then tried to you know keep an eye out throughout the rest of the match because this again like I said is a very first exchange it's, it, it just carries on all the way through um, I mean we're looking at a match here that must be it's 20 plus minutes I don't think there's anything really you can poke holes in throughout the match with regards to realism, which when you look at modern day ladder matches and the spectacle you get, and again, you know, the athleticism of these guys nowadays is just mind blowing what they can do, but you can poke holes in so much of it. It looks like a routine, a dance, and we're going from this spot to this spot to this spot, and let's have 10 blokes stand around and wait to catch this other guy. I don't think there was any moments like that in this.
0: Can you recall any? Is there anything that stands out to you? So, not not from a blatancy point of view. No, I, I think the the beauty of this match is when you when you look at it, like you say, there's a real snugness to it, and there's examples of kind of both men slip up over things they're trying to do. So you get Razor pulling up the mats in an effort to uh, use the concrete underneath on Sean, but it backfires on him. Like Sean finds a way to prevent Razor from getting into the ring in the most violent way possible, causing him to crack his elbow against the concrete. Um, the the ladder is used for a couple of spots, um, especially that iconic splash off the top from Michael's that is used mm. in highlight packages up and down all of WWF's content. But there's there's nothing for me that makes this ladder match look like a spectacle. To me, it's more of a straight-up ladder match. Uh, sorry, a straight-up wrestling match, I should say, where there just happens to be the use of a ladder at the end of it to get the prize. Uh, the, the ladder is very rarely used as a weapon as such. Um, it's used more as a as a hindrance to the other person. And I think that's how it should be. I I love ladder matches. Um, it, it completely comes from this match in particular, uh, the rematch at SummerSlam 95 as well, and yeah. also the match from Wrestling Challenge in 92, where Brett and Sean had the first ladder match yes. um in modern-day WWF TV for the Intercontinental title. And they all... They all still had that um you know that that straight up wrestling match with a little bit of snugness to it, whereas these days in modern wrestling, like you say um the athleticism these days is off the charts. I love it, I am all here for it, but I have wondered with a lot of these ladder matches when you can hear the noise that that ladder makes when it clatters into somebody's head for the ninety third time. How how hasn't somebody been like severely like knocked out or put into mm-hmm. a coma following one of these matches these days? Because the, the ladder itself almost gets overused to the point that I am crying out for one of these traditional ladder matches yeah. in, in modern day
1: wrestling. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I feel that this match here is about Sean and Razor whereas yes. ladder matches in the future are about the ladder. I yeah, think that's, I know, know. that's as simple as I can boil it down to, really, the difference. And that, to me, comes down to storytelling, um, how they put the matches together, the psychology from, from start to finish. But we are watching two of the, two of the, the brightest, smartest, most switched-on wrestlers of all time in this match, so maybe it's a bit unfair to judge all the future competitors in one hit, but at the same time, you know, you go back and you watch this, and then you watch what they do at SummerSlam '95 and so on. That it's not about the ladder, no. Which is which is unique in itself because it's a ladder match. It's about Sean and Razor, and that just shows how talented these guys are. Um, early on, Razor Ramon is sent to the outside. Diesel nails him with a clothesline, and I liked this because it gave the referee the opportunity to send Diesel to the back, which gets him out of the way. Because how in, in going forward, how the hell is, at any point, Razor supposed to climb the ladder when there's two of them out there? If Sean's, you know, it, it, you know it, I suppose it comes back in the finish, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. But if Diesel's out there, there's always that distraction. So him going, again, boils it back down to being Sean and Razor. Um, but after that moment, we get Sean, I suppose, showing his selling abilities his bumping abilities because he's flying about all over the place here he's going over the ropes he's doing his his flip in, in the corner um even so much straightforward as bouncing off the ropes and catching a punch from razor he kind of does this half little pirouette and spits in the air for the extra drama and so on i know in the future we see matches especially the one against hogan for example where he goes a little bit too far with this aspect of his selling but again is, is this a, sh- a real strength of Sean's? Because we had that conversation about Sean and Brett earlier. Does Sean sell? I mean, it's a different way of selling, but is it a better way of selling when in comparison to somebody who's a bit more of a traditional, traditionalist, sorry, like Brett Hart?
0: I think it is, yeah. So um, it, it plays to the whole Sherman persona of Sean Michaels, I think, but with with the exception of that Summerslam match with Hogan, because that was ridiculous. As a Shawn Michaels fan, as a Hulk Hogan hater, um the there's the overselling in that match. It actually makes me hate Sean during that match more than anything right. for all the wrong reasons. Whereas one of one of Shawn Michaels' biggest strengths during this uh, initial heel run, so the whole ninety two to ninety four is the fact that it, it plays to the cockiness of his character. So he talked a big game. He had the big heater, Diesel, behind him, who is then completely out of the picture after he's been the reason that Sean's won a lot of matches in 93 since his debut. Yeah. And then after that, it's like it's just him and Razor. And whenever Razor gets the upper hand, Sean accentuates everything perfectly but without making it look ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the point. It's like with, with the Hogan stuff, you know, Sean has made it very clear that he was upset about certain aspects of how that match was going to go down. So, therefore, he decided to go on strike in the most ridiculous way possible, which was to <laughs> oversell everything. It's he funny, can, really, because, sorry,
1: you normally, you normally say that going on strike, you're going to down tools. But if yeah. anything... To make it look that ridiculous, he's working even harder, which is yeah. ironic, really. It's so a backwards way, is they're going on strike. As, it. it's yeah, like, sorry, I'll I'll, I'll
0: show you. I shall I shall make you look amazing <laughs> to a ridiculous extent so that no yeah. one will believe it, you know. Um whereas here he he still makes it look believable. Mm-hmm. You know, um and and again, it's that element of the theatricalness of it all as well, in that, you know, the person in row double Z seat ninety-nine can see that Sean's taking a kick it. Yeah. Because Sean is accentuating every movement. Uh when you when you put that alongside the likes of say Mr Perfect at, at this time, um he did oversell to almost Dolph Ziggler style extents. Uh which was a real shame. Whereas here Sean knew when he needed to make somebody look like a world beater. And he does mm. that here in this match I think with his selling.
1: Yeah, yeah, Rovado. Uh, you mentioned about that the Razor ripping up the crash mats on the outside, and he teases a Razor's Edge, uh, but he's very close to the ropes, so Sean gets backdropped out. Sorry, Razor gets backdropped out himself onto the concrete, which allows mm-hmm. Sean to go and fetch the ladder for the first time. And Razor interrupts this, gets the ladder himself, but then Sean hits a baseball slide and sort of, a, you know, effectively drop kicks on the ground the ladder into Razor's stomach. And even a move as I say as simple as that, I don't want to say patronizing or I can't do any of this shit. Don't get me wrong. But no. even something in theory, as simple as how that looked, it's it looked spectacular. It looked believable. It looked like he genuinely drilled him in the ribs and the stomach with a ladder. I thought, I thought that was absolutely superb. Um, and we're off to the races then because the ladder is now involved. But again, the ladders a secondary part of this match because of how talented these two guys are. Um, Sean hits Razor with the ladder a few times and then at one stage literally just picks the ladder up and just throws it at him and it cracks Razor on the back. And again, so simple. No no like 47 backflips or anything like that, but it looked legit. It looked painful. It looked like a real fight here for me, Chris.
0: Yeah, it did and I don't know whether that's down to the fact that you know in in modern day ladder matches they've got 30 of them stashed under the ring. Yes. So they can probably stand to destroy one or two. Uh, you know, these these are your working ladders. This is your shoot ladder. So don't, don't, don't touch that one till you're ready. Whereas with me, you you get the impression if you are kind of like having a behind the scenes mindset to this, they probably just have the one ladder and it's, and it's probably needed later to help take down the lighting rig. So therefore, <laughs> be careful you know yeah. i mean this is this is the wwf in in 1994 and everything that's happened uh, again without being too smart uh, with um court cases and this that, and the other so mm-hmm. money was probably a little bit tight um but but you're right i mean if if you were to you know have a a scrap with somebody um you know speaking metaphorically here um and you did decide to use a ladder as a weapon um, that's probably how you'd use it. You would, yeah. you know, you would, you would push it on, onto somebody. You would put it in someone's way. So they'd walk into it, you know, think things like that. Um, so yeah, it, it just adds, like you say, to the, to the realism of, of the match, I think using it in this way, rather than, you know, Razor getting sandwiched in it. So Sean can do a, a moonsault onto it and all those sorts of things. Mm. It's, it, yeah. it, it, it just adds to that realism. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, Sean makes the first attempt to grab the belts, and Razor reaches up to try and stop him. And I think this is the one criticism I may have with this match. We didn't need to see quite as much butt. I don't think. Yeah, Uh,
0: he's he's definitely channeling his uh, inner nature boy, there, isn't he? He was. uh, You know, this it's uh, time time to see the bum bum, but. uh... (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, you've, you've you've got to keep the ladies interested, I suppose.
1: Indeed, indeed. Um, and that leads to an elbow drop with his r-site, which is a unique spot in itself, I suppose. And oh, yeah. following that, we have, as you mentioned earlier, that, that that iconic image of that splash off the ladder. And it is literally just a splash, which I suppose in modern-day football, modern-day football, listen to me, pardon me, in modern-day wrestling, with regards to just an ordinary splash, you don't... <sighs> that doesn't seem as exciting as it could do any more, I suppose, because we're so used to seeing people turn it, add a flip in there or, or whatever. But even here, you know, 2023, looking back at this particular splash, that massive blonde mullet flowing behind him. He's got his hands spread, his fingers out wide, and he, he kind of hits a certain position midair and keeps that position as he falls. And the lights go off behind him, the flash bulbs and so on. Uh, again, Used in visual packages, as you mentioned, but I just think it's it's another example of WWF getting the camera angle absolutely spot on, their production absolutely spot on, and not missing something that 30 odd years later is still being used in visual packages, I think.
0: Yeah, it it really plays to the production values that the WWF have. I mean, obviously, you expect that as a a worldwide leader, uh, but yeah, they've got cameras fixed on everything mm. and they almost have this sixth sense of where the camera angle is going to be uh so so yeah i mean to to get shots like that is just incredible it really is mm. yeah
1: Another great shot, actually, now you mentioned it, it, is uh, shortly after this, both guys collide in the middle of the ring, crash to the deck, and just lie on the canvas. And that, that allows the crowd to sort of calm down for a moment and then build back up again. And we get a shot from above the ring, and Razor is literally just flat out. Sean's on his front, so the ladder's there as well. And above them, we see the belts kind of half spinning away. Th- that, again, was another example of them just getting it absolutely spot on. Um, yeah, Sean gets up but then is sent into the ladder in the corner by Razor and smashes the ladder, flips over the top of the ropes, hits the floor on the outside again, bumping away and making Razor look like an absolute superstar. Razor then follows him outside with the ladder, which normally I'd be like, okay, I'm not, I, I don't like that. To me, it's the same as in a wrestling match when somebody hits a incredible move and doesn't go for a pinfall. They then go to the next spot. It felt, a little bit like that with Razor here. It's like, why don't you go for the belt? But it's such a tiny little criticism. It's, it's hardly worth me mentioning it, to be fair. And this is where Razor um, effectively uses a slingshot on Sean into the, into the ladder. And mm. I, I like this as well, because the, the ladder doesn't bounce back with Sean, and he has to almost use his own momentum to pull it with him. But again, he's he's falling a, a good few feet back first with a ladder in front of him. There's no real way of protecting yourself in that in that moment. I don't feel, Chris.
0: Not at all. No, I mean, you know, this is a a, a solid object that you are willingly landing on top of yourself. So, again, with with both Sean and Razor here, you you get the impression that they were prepared to have these spots where. There's no protection involved at mm. all. I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, with, without casting aspersions too much or being too controversial, um, they, they probably had something in their locker that would have taken the feeling away afterwards. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, very true. But <laughs> it, it also plays a lot to the professionalism of these guys when it came to putting on a match for the fans, you know, that you, c- you can make your argument about what the click represented from a locker room point of view, but you can't take away the fact that even when they were at their most prima donna-ish, depending on what you believe, the main focus that they seemed to have was having the best match of the night.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that that only benefits the fans, you know, and... Stuff like this is what we as fans nearly 20 years later, well, nearly 30 years later, um, remember, you know.
1: Mm, indeed. Um, with regards to that that kind of thing, then with, you know, best match on the card and, and they're bumping in a way that can't really protect themselves at times. There's, there's a moment here that I was interested in, in getting your thoughts upon. Um, Razor goes for the belts. Sean jumps off the ropes and hits Razor with an axe handle. Razor falls off the ladder. Sean hits the deck. But then the ladder itself falls and lands on Sean. I've always mm-hmm. been convinced that that was an accident. I've always been convinced that that wasn't meant to happen. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's the case? Or do you think that was part of what they were working on? Because I am I think more about how Sean is on the deck and the ladder hits him and he doesn't react in a certain way. I feel mm-hmm. that was an accident. What, what are your thoughts,
0: having seen this match so many times yourself? I... I honestly believe that it's a happy accident. Okay. And for the purposes of the show, Sean is hiding the fact that it's probably legitimately hurt him. Hmm. Okay. Because he, he has, it's, it's hard really at the moment because I'm kind of doing each show one week at a time with raw. So I'm not kind of pushing too far forward to what happens. But if I remember correctly, um, Sean is off raw for a couple of weeks after this match. Now, whether that's because of taping schedules because at this point they would have been recording live and then pre-recording too. So, it could just be a uh, a coincidence. But Sean isn't seen on WWE TV for about two maybe three weeks. Um, okay. It could be because of scheduling, it could be because he's taken a nasty knock and he's having to rest it, but uh Uh, To me, um, that is probably the best sell of the whole match because it looked like he gives himself a dead leg at the very least.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, We end up with both competitors at the top of the ladder not long after this, and they're exchanging punches before Razor basically half suplexes, half slams Sean off the top of the ladder, which again is quite a way to be falling before falling himself to the ground. Otherwise, he'd he'd have to win the match, wouldn't he? So I suppose it must be a case yeah. of, oh shit, I've got to fall myself now. Um, as Razor gets back up, he, he starts climbing the ladder and Sean jumps up and drop kicks the ladder. And this is a moment where I think that it didn't quite go as they might have wished because the ladder didn't fall. The ladder, Sean didn't hit the ladder potentially as hard as maybe he would like to have done. Mm-hmm. So Razor kind of had to throw himself a little bit. But again, it's yeah. such small criticisms to what they're doing here because what they're doing is is so good. Uh, and then when this happens, Sean just literally pushes the ladder and it just falls on Razor. And again, it's so simple, but it looked like it really hurt the guy, which is, again, the whole point, surely.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it plays into the story, to be fair, of, you know, you, you want to – incapacitate your opponent to the point that yeah. when the time comes to climb as we will see in a minute when he sets the ladder up um, you, you don't want them to be popping straight back up and stopping you so if it buys you a couple of seconds then it makes complete sense mm, Yeah, without a doubt We do see a, a very early version of Sweet Chin
1: Music as Razor runs back off the ropes but it's, it, it didn't have its name at this stage obviously but it's still quite an impressive super kick that Sean throws He then signals for the Razor's edge Razor's own finishing move and by Sean's own admission he was knackered and couldn't lift him up so he just turned it into a power driver instead which again still looked great Um, then we get the second big splash from the ladder but on this occasion with the ladder Sean is on the ropes with the ladder in front of him um, folded down so the ladder's flat Razor's on the deck and he kind of sandwiches the ladder between his body and Razor's and it doesn't matter how many times I watch this I watch the bump, I watch Sean fall I watch i raise her half brings his arms up to sort of try and tense his chest, and then I hear the noise and I think there's no way that did not hurt them again
0: mm. yeah again it's realism on realism yeah you yeah it's there's there's no malleability or, or mm. give to a a solid object like that so no so yeah again um you know you would. Expect them to do something like that when they're completely fresh, not when they're knackered after a you know a sub thirty minute match. At the ladder itself, and you mentioned there about a solid object and so on.
1: Obviously, these are early days of ladder matches. They haven't had numerous ones to try and uh, iron out the, the the issues and and so on. When we get into the eras of like the TRC match and we're having ladder matches every other month, uh, it, things seem to be a little bit more worked out with what the guys want to do. The ladder itself here, it feels chunkier and more solid than the ladders we see at a later date. Yes. Again, that kind of, to me, adds to how this match works so well because you see some of the guys getting hit with ladders in later matches. For argument's sake, you see, I I think it was um, Cody Rhodes in a ladder match at one stage at WrestleMania. Try and pick one of the ladders up. And he's trying to make it look like it's genuinely heavy and then throws it about like it's made a polystyrene. The moment where Sean lifts the ladder up, it genuinely looks like he's struggling to lift it out in front of him because it weighs so much. It's, 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 it's incredible to me that they're working with an object so clunky and chunky and taking these these crazy silly bumps with it, really.
0: Yeah, they are. And, you know, it's it's probably now indicative to why we get the ladders that we do in Yeah, modern matches where you know they that you see them set up some of these ladders that have been used as as weapons, and you know it's not going to be the finish because the ladder itself is almost like it can be bent at a right angle sometimes when they're putting it up like that. That's how bad it is. Whereas here they're still feeling out the whole ladder match concept, Mm. and you know. uh, even even though they've used a few ladder spots here, it's still a relatively safe match from a ladder match perspective um, compared to what we've seen in the modern day. Um, and that probably has a, a lot to do with the fact of, oh, yeah, this looks like it'll do some damage, so let's be snug, but let's choose our spots with it. Whereas these days, it's like, right, lads, this is probably cardboard sprayed silver, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, pay con healer to the outside onto a ladder where I will land on the ladder. Then I'll sandwich you between two, maybe three of them, and uh, a Canadian destroyer off one to another guy, and, and then I yeah, will jump back yeah, yeah, yeah. and be absolutely fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because it isn't really going to hurt, is it? Whereas, no. uh, whereas, yeah, you you look at some of those matches, kind of um, pre year two thousand, where a lad has been involved, and you think, goodness me, those those lads must have uh, a heck of a insurance pay coming when they retire. Yeah. Uh, this does kind of lead to our finish then,
1: doesn't it? Because Sean sets the ladder up over the top of uh, Razor, starts climbing. Razor wakes up though, starts tipping the ladder, uh, and runs the ropes and bangs into the ladder, which sends Sean flying into the ropes. And this, I still think is the greatest finish a ladder match has ever had because Sean gets tangled up in the ropes So Razor can climb the the whole sloth-like slow-mo climbing the ladder thing that we've seen so many times in ladder matches over the years. And you're looking at the opponent and you're thinking, oh, come on, mate, get up. You've got plenty of time. Here, That all of that is took away because Sean's tangled up in the ropes and can't get out. And it comes back to me for the way Sean is selling this because he's genuinely fighting and scrapping. He's desperately clawing at the ladder to make sure Razor can't get out of it. When he finally frees his leg, he gets his arm tangled up and that allows Razor to climb up and collect the belts. How do you feel about this, this
0: finish itself uh, and how it was structured and put together? It's really clever. Uh, I, I liked it at the time, don't get me wrong, but I like it even more, as you say, based on what we see from modern ladder matches now. Yeah. Like the The worst thing to me in a ladder match is a slow climb. Yeah. I would... I would rather have an instance where two men are fighting off the top of the ladder and they're reaching for that belt while punching each other at the same time. One guy falls off, grabs the belt, wins. Or as we see, um, I think it was Rob Van Dam versus Christian. Again, it was a spot where Christian slips up and it allows Rob Van Dam to get the ladder. Um, And this is it here. You know, This is a case of simple human error. Um, made to look spectacular by Shawn Michaels, as he's wont to do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And, you know, Scott Hall could have done a song and dance number off the top of that ladder before getting it for all Mm. of the selling of being stuck that Shawn did. But it's just incredibly effective. It's kind of, this is a match between two guys that, even at the time, I enjoyed greatly. And I would not have minded one iota who won because yes. I, I loved both guys. Um, and it just speaks to how good this match is, that you genuinely believe it would take something as made to look clumsy as this uh, for Razor to win the match that way, over the fact that, you know, Sean had just, you know, gone one step too far and got himself stuck. And Razor seizes the opportunity. It's, it's the most believable way, given the amount of punishment these guys have dished out, it's the most believable way for the match to be won, short of one of them being legitimately knocked out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd say a great deal on the various shows I do. Um, Make it make sense. Make me believe what I'm looking at. And this, to me, makes sense. It makes me believe still. 100%. Uh, only thing left for us to do then, I suppose, is to mark this out of 10 how I normally do on this. Well, I say how I normally do. Uh, I actually started the show by marking things out of five and then randomly switched to out of 10 for some reason. No clue why. Didn't even realise I'd done it, but I'm going to stick with a 10, I think. So out of 10, what are you thinking?
0: Out of 10, well, in all fairness, it's it's hard not to give it a 10. Yeah. Like anything yeah. less than that doesn't seem fair to the match itself. Um I will be honest. Um I I prefer Owen versus Brett on this okay. event. Uh I I just think um even like taking away from the fact that it's two guys that I think are two of the absolute best of all time in, in Brett and Owen, it's just a fantastic match. Um again with a with a finish that you completely believe. Mm. Um, but to be perfectly honest, because this match is a 10, it's the reason that I see that match in a Meltzer style and give it an 11 or 12. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it takes nothing away. Uh, I mean, this, this match, uh, the, the ladder match, I think was the, the first ever five star rated match in the Wrestling Observer newsletter. If you care about those sorts of things, I don't, but, um, you know, you can you can see why it was. It is it is quite literally the perfect match.
1: Mm. Yes. And such an influential match as well for for going yes. going forward and, and and a lot of matches that come from it. Um on a very early episode of Chain Wrestling, so we're we're talking years ago now, we reviewed this, Magsie and I. It won the poll yeah. and we reviewed this. So I went back uh just before we started recording today on our little spreadsheet thingy to look at the scores that Magsie and I gave it back when we first reviewed it with chain wrestling, we both gave it a nine. Now, I don't know whether I was being particularly stingy because it, nothing had got a 10 out of 10 on chain wrestling at that point yet. Right. But I don't understand why I would have done that other than I was being stingy with my marks. Because to me, this is, this is a 10 out of 10 match. You know, me a couple of years ago is wrong. This is a 10 out of 10 match. I don't know why I fought that way. Um, a real coming out party for Sean as a singles wrestler, I think. Oh, yeah. Scott Hall looked fantastic as well. Just just brilliant stuff. And uh, I suppose from that aspect onwards, it's really the last... It's the last WrestleMania match in his first run for Sean, where he is viewed as a bit of a mid-carder, because obviously next year, he's in the world title match. The year after that, he's in the world title match. And in fourteen, he's in the world mm. title match. So it is very much yeah. a... A, a progression in his career i suppose this is now uh in 12 months time he's not going to be working at this level he's almost taking another step up the card which is quite interesting to see how, how his career develops from there but yeah i i, I bloody love it mate so i agree with you 10 out of 10 for me and also i've bloody loved talking to you today about it it has been fantastic so thank you so so much for joining me here Uh, before we depart do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self online and all the shows that you mentioned earlier on Uh, and just yeah give us a run through about where everyone can find all your great content
0: absolutely si and uh, first of all thank you for having me like i say it's been a a genuine pleasure and something i've wanted to do for so long um
1: i know danny probably
0: says this to you a lot as well but you are one of the inspirations for me wanting to podcast in the first place so i'm a massive fan of what you do and it, it's nice to be um involved in something with you so that was great but yeah um, you're very you content thank you. thank you mate so if you wanted to find me on social media uh, you can find me personally at real chris bellis on twitter i refuse to call it x when i'm not in my corporate mindset um <laughs> I I will follow back as as our good friend Rob says it's it's all about the mutuals um I'll talk about anything as well um I obviously love wrestling but I also like horror movies uh I'm massively into music and all of its beautiful rich forms um I'm mad about my kids so don't get me started on that um movies video games, whatever it may be. You can talk to me about anything you like and I'll find an interest in it, so please do. Uh, From a a show point of view, uh, you can follow Danny and myself collectively at One Man's Meat Pod on Twitter. Um, We're not as active as we like, but we we often just use it to plug episodes. Uh, But please, get your suggestions out there. We are very open to episode ideas, even show ideas. Like I say, I have been branching out with... uh, the solo wrestling stuff, um, the music stuff. There's always a few irons in the fire. Uh, The stuff that I suggest to other people as well, so do please watch this space. Um, I'm I'm looking to kind of branch out a little bit more in my uh, solo and group podcasting in 2024, so I'm always open to working with people as well. Um, But, yeah, if you like wrestling, there's the main show and Acceptable in the 90s. If you like horror movies, There is Disgusting Awful, which is usually monthly, not at the moment, of course. And if you like music, um, a little bit of a giveaway, but I'm I'm going to uh, show it here first. Um, One of the Christmas specials that I'm doing this year, I'm reviewing um, one of my favourite albums of all time, which is um, Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers by the Wu-Tang Clan. And it's inspired me to do a monthly half hour hip-hop radio show um it'll be themed oh, nice. yeah it'll be themed whether it's uh groups or particular styles of hip-hop uh just want to kind of um spread my wings out a little bit and i love my metal so there might be something coming up um in the near future where we discuss uh, a band that i'm very fond of uh but again um, you've probably heard that here first, and it might never get heard again. But uh, <laughs> keep on spreading the stardust because it's something I'm quite excited about.
1: There we go. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I mean, I'll be honest. That album you mentioned, I don't. I've never heard of it. Well, I've heard of it, but I've never heard it because I I've always been incredibly. I, I suppose the correct term would be ignorant. I guess uh, for a okay. long time, for a long time, growing up, I was very much a case of I like what I like, and that's that. And right. it's only been in the last year or two, maybe maybe a little bit longer than that, where I've started listening to other genres of music and stepping away just from the rock and metal world and so on. So I'll be intrigued. I'll, I'll give that album a listen, and I'll definitely listen to your review and discussion about it as well after I've listened to the album itself. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by that.
0: Thank you. Uh, mate. I mean, what I what I will say about it. Um, sorry to interrupt. Is that? No, carry on though. No. Um, as a as a hip hop fan it's probably the closest thing to a, a metal style album of the time. Okay. It's, it's very gritty. It deals very much with the social issues of the time. Um, but it's got a very raw sound. It kind of, it, it came out at a time where, um, hip hop was very clean, very overproduced and it almost kicked the door down with something completely different. So, so to me, it was kind of, oh, if I could put it into kind of rock and metal standards, the likes of Motley Crue and Twisted Sister and Poison, mm-hmm. all great bands were were dominating the scene. And then along came the likes of um, Anthrax with their Second Wind and and Pantera and bands like that and kind of brought it back to the to the heavy rawness of metal while still having that commercial edge. And that's what the Wu Tang clan did. They they kind of um took a lot of the uh West Coast's prominence away from the uh from the genre's basis at that time and kind of brought it back to a, a New York emphasis where it's more about the the harder sound, the social commentary, all those sorts of things. So um okay. yeah, I I hope you enjoy listening to it, mate. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out Thank you very much Uh, Anything I'm involved in
1: as always you can find via the network that carries this show and that's at SJP World Media on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and we've got all sorts going on there we've got the Doctor Who podcast we've got the Waiting Room looking at Quantum Leap loads of live shows we've got stuff looking at Premier League football looking at wrestling events live I mean as Chris and I talk right now on Saturday afternoon there is a plan for a live watch along of Survivor Series tonight obviously by the time you're hearing this it'll be too late but you can check it out on the On Demand and uh yeah all sorts going on with SJP world media and you can find and follow this show itself on twitter at the hbk pod make sure you're checking that a follow as well and keep it up to date with all the episodes when they are released chris i've had a blast my friend this has been great i can't believe it's took us so long to sit down and actually have a conversation together about something like this we need to do it again more often yes we bloody well do lad let's get it done <laughs> and to <laughs> everyone else as always thank you for listening Up and down their spine I'm just a sexy boy